I'm Allison Summers. I am a stand-up comedian in Nashville, Tennessee, and I am a filmmaker, and I'm also an improviser. An improviser, and my sobriety date actually is July 18th, 2014. So tomorrow I will have eight years, and uh, yeah, I was born and raised in Nashville. And I've moved around a bunch, which is something we'll talk about, because uh, I was a geographical. If anybody knows what that is, I had a ge- geographical cure, which is, but in case you didn't know, wherever you go, you go. Um, I will say I work a program, um, and this, what we're doing here, this podcast, is not affiliated with that program whatsoever. Um, I will not name the program that I work, but I do work a 12-step program. Um, and that works for me. We'll also talk about on the show what works for people. Because sometimes 12-step programs don't work. Sometimes people just get sober. Like, just they just make a decision. And, and sometimes, you know, there's just many different ways to get sober. And there's, I don't personally believe that there's a right way. I just know that what works for me. So. And you're, if I'm not wrong, you're straight edge, right? You are no, no booze, no drugs. Right. I don't, I, I do not drink nor do I use drugs. However, though, for like almost four years, I've been thinking about that I want to do mushrooms. And I'm, that's still, I'm still on the fence about that. But I would do Which it in a. Which is something we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about, yeah. Um, not, that's the whole show, is we just tease episodes <laughs> that may or may not happen. That's the whole maybe. series. Yeah. We are going to maybe talk about this. So don't, maybe don't not. We never say anything. Mm-hmm. But currently, you are. No booze um, and no drugs, no which drugs. is also another, we have a different, we've had different approaches to yeah. sobriety, but one of the things you told me was sober can be different for different people. I and think, I think yeah. that's a huge part of this show too. Yeah. I do therapy. I will say, you know, again, something we'll talk about. I do, I, I do EMDR and talk therapy. Okay. Um, oh, Interesting. Did you know that? Uh-uh. I didn't know EMDR. I didn't I know. I like it. EMDR is fucking weird. Okay. I'm into it. Okay. I like weird stuff. I've done a few little like mm, uh, somatic repatterning and stuff. I so. kind of like that. Okay. So very cool. Um, and then I have been my sober date. Um, I don't remember exactly, but I know it's in February during Chinese New Year because <laughs> I got sober in China. Uh, two and a half years ago, and uh, I drank. That was my mm-hmm. my bigger problem. Um, and I was a very heavy uh, marijuana user or weed for the cool kids. But um, <laughs> I am uh, I no longer drink, and I am approaching a new way of using um, THC. And I'm going to do more of. Uh, like what Alan Watts talks about, I do more of an experience-based once every X amount of months mm-hmm. or whatever, like complete dehydration from it and then saturate in it. Ooh, saturation. <laughs> and, uh, but I have a history of doing different types of drugs. Um, no needles, basically, is where that boils down to. I never did a needle drug, but outside of that, I kind of messed around with some stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll kind of dive in and out of that and how I... Uh, my different levels of addiction to stuff. Yeah. I mean, and there's, we'll talk about cross addiction too, which is like once you get sober, like that doesn't mean 
a lot of people have cross addiction. So, uh, you know, they'll find that they have an addiction to sex or shopping or mm-hmm. food. And so we'll talk about that as well. Cause right. it's like, basically when you get sober, like shit doesn't go away. <laughs> <laughs> Just, you God, gotta figure out true? how to keep it, <laughs> keep it at bay. <laughs> I do. That is um, that is probably the biggest obstacle I see in my own life. It's just not realizing the depth of sobriety, and I think that's because I I did cold turkey. I did it on an emotional moment, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I'm fortunate. I had a great partner that has helped me stick to it, but also um, I've been able to stick to it. I never went to anybody for advice until we started kind of talking. Mm-hmm. I had one other mentor who had worked a program. Mm-hmm. And, but he had been sober for 35 years. Wow. And so he was very stoic about it. Yeah. But like it was, uh, it was sort of like having the playbook, but not really understanding how to run the plays, if that I makes see. sense. Yeah, yeah. And so I think it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out because I'm now learning a little bit about programs and different approaches. Mm-hmm. Um, the other big thing for the show uh we mentioned we're going to have guests, but they're mm-hmm. just going to be little pieces. Um, so you're going to have these interviews. If you know somebody who's a creative as well, let us know and we'll reach out to them too. I wanted to add that. Yes. Minor yep. plug. Um, we both mentioned we're creative. For you, you were a cre- you were a comedian after being sober, right? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't start doing stand-up until – I think I may have had four – no – I guess I had eight, five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> I th- I three years, three years sober, I started to do stand up. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah. When, so. when you walked into doing stand up sober, I mean, because you had been performing prior to that, had you'd been an improviser prior mm-hmm. to that? Oh yeah, I've done improv for years and years and years and years. So how much of that that history of improv help you? be able to I mean going to do stand-up sober after being not sober is a very interesting move I think when you first start doing stand-up you know nothing about it and you know nothing about the scene and so there's no pressure and so I was already comfortable being on stage I just didn't you know and I thought I think this is funny I did I did a joke about my mom where she she talks about everybody uh everybody she knows is dead that was the first joke that i i ever (laughs) did and like i did okay you know and so then i was like oh you know like very excited feeling that like hi and uh sativa was like you you should keep doing this and I, i didn't really know who he was but i knew that he was like the it guy in the scene and yeah. I was like well this guy thinks I'm good I'm gonna keep doing it and so I think that there was just no pressure to to be good and so it was easy for me and now it's much harder for yeah. me I think and because now you're more aware because now I, I want to be good I want to be really good I mean I have friends in the scene now and I feel like if you suck at comedy you let your friends down. They, why would they want to hang out with you if you're not funny? It's you funny know? because why would they want to hang out with me if I'm not? Because I have nothing to offer. This As a new guy, I didn't even get to start with most of you. Most of you that I, I consider either peers or people that I want to be my peers mm-hmm. have already been doing it in Nashville. And despite me having a long track record of comedy, 
none of you knew me except for the guy that worked at Comedy Bar prior to this moment. Right. So it's like it's like showing up to a new high school. You're the new kid, and you're like, it's senior year, and everybody's kind of bonding. Yeah. And you're like, I want to hang out with those kids, but I don't know. I, if I'm not funny, there's not a chance. Right, and that is something that I talked to my therapist about, is like myself, sometimes I put my self-worth on like how well I'm doing in comedy, mm-hmm. which is like, it actually should be how good of a person I am to the people in my life and to my community. Right. (laughs) But that is the stuff that helps me stay sober. I know. It's like reframing that of like, what is really important? Like, it's hard when you bomb though, to not feel like. Well, to hinge, to hinge your person. Like when I was drinking to hinge, my personality somewhat on comedy was okay. Because I would I would lean into when I was drunk on stage or whatever, I could lean into that personality and be funny and have a good time to hinge my whole self-worth on the fun I'm having doing comedy. I would be a tortured soul because, yeah, I do the East Room and it doesn't go swell. That's a 25 minute drive home on Tennessee's shitty roads. (laughs) That's a sad long night or to sit <laughs> to sit and wait to get a bucket spot somewhere and then not get drawn and you go, ah, but I had this new idea and, I wanted to try. and look, Zach Townsend's here. He might think I'm, you know what I mean? Like, oh, uh, Josh Black or whoever, you know, these names in town mm. are is here and I didn't get on stage. I had this, I have a bit that I know is going to work to hinge my whole personality on that now would crush me i think yeah so it's been an interesting journey in that sense so and we're gonna we're gonna talk about all that stuff of course uh because that's what this show is yeah we're gonna talk about it we're gonna talk about this i found an article about four types of drinkers okay and this is from latrobe university that sounds like a made-up fucking place I don't, to be fair, Latrobe. It probably is. I'm a, I don't have my phone. I can't look at it. But it's an EDU, that. so you know it's. It's real. And it's .au, which I think means Australia. Oh. And they know a thing or two about yeah, drinking. Yeah, they do. <laughs> okay. So this has um, the four main types of drinkers, and I want to kind of get your feelings on this. Okay. Um, the first one is a social drinker. And uh, that one's pretty obvious. What's the de- does it have the definition? It does. So uh, in this model, social drinking may be about increasing the amount of fun you are having with your friends. This fits in with the idea that drinking is mainly a social pastime. Mm. Drinking for social motives as associ- is associated with moderate alcohol use. Well, I drank. So- I drank for those social. I just burped. Excuse me. I drank for social purposes because I-, I anything. I thought alcohol enhanced anything that I did. Right. But so, did you feel whenever you would go to a party, that like, well, I have to drink. I'm at a party. Fuck yeah. yeah. I would I would drink before the party. <laughs> I would be like, I have to be buzzed before I leave the house. So do you think... In order to be like on... But were you always like that? Uh, Yes. Uh, uh, even in high school, I mean... Yeah, I was I was always like if I could get my hands on it, I would do it before. Like I needed it to kind of yeah, I pretty much have always been like that. We pregame 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I need a chaser. And then I, I had like a saying, like every time I would take, cause I, I would go through phases of what I would drink. And there was one phase in college where I was really on this Southern comfort kick, oh, which is so co disgusting. And I would be like, Oh, every time I drink, I'd be like, it's like jumping into a cold pool. It's like <laughs> so weird. We should explore that by the way, the things you come up for when you're drinking, like the ideas or sayings that you come up. Cause I had the same thing I would do. I would say certain things about drinks. Like, that was my thing. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dumb. But um, for me, I didn't drink until I got into college. Oh. My, I didn't drink until I was 21. Oh, and my God. And I had God. joined a fraternity. Oh, Jesus. And I would show up to parties. Originally, I would show up and not really even drink until, like, I started playing beer pong or something. So I'd be there for, like, an hour and never have a drink of alcohol. That's insane to me. And then it changed, <laughs> obviously. But... Yeah, I so that's why I'm always interested when people are like, from mm. the start, I was... From the start. I think I started drinking when I was 13, heavily. I went to my first fraternity party when I was in the ninth grade. I can't. I drank Miller say. High Life and got so fucked. I mean, I was doing keg stands when I was 15, but I'm from it's Mount Juliet. I know it's not no, funny. No, I mean, but yeah, but. it's just, a, it's the reality. I, I'm from Mount Juliet. There was nothing to do in Mount Juliet back then. We would cruise downtown and, and drink and just back when you could cruise downtown. <laughs> but there was nothing to do except for go into parking lots and drink. And that's what we did. <laughs> bonfire parties it's, it blows my mind and you've told me some stuff mm-hmm. i can't even imagine at 15 me and my church buddies were making home movies okay yeah wow. we were yeah that's so wholesome my grandma called my mom not very long after i graduated college to ask her if i was gay because i was just like a wholesome boy yeah yeah oof that's your grandma's <laughs> sounds fun i'm gonna outlive her so it won't matter <laughs> Um, so the next one is drinking to conform. Frank, anything? Drinking to conform. Okay. Um, so this one is people only drink in social occasions because they want to fit in, not because it's a choice they would normally make. They drink less than those who drink mainly for other reasons. Uh, these are the people who will sip a glass of champagne for a toast or keep a wine in their hand to avoid feeling different. So this is going to be... Uh, more for people who aren't really drinkers at all. Uh, yeah, that was not me. Me either. But I am I am floored by people that can have a glass of wine. Oh, my God. Isn't that crazy? It is, it is bizarre. And so I remember when people would leave their drinks on the table, I would be the trashy person and drink. There, I would wait until everybody, like if we were at a restaurant or like wherever we were, I would be the last person up and I would drink all their drinks whatever was left and then did no one say anything to you ever i'm sure that they did here's the thing i don't have a good memory and also if they tried to say anything i would rage that's a good point i mean i don't have a great memory either like i have it's like a bad trailer to a movie yeah i mean i but i knew i was an alcoholic by the time i was 18 i knew i had a problem like this was it was not I knew that I had a drinking problem. It's, I will say one of the things about this, um, this idea and us doing this is when I first met you, you had on like overalls. I, 
literally one of the staff thought you were like a kindergarten teacher on the side. And then you start talking about uh, being sober and about cum. And we were like, I don't know what to think of this person. What an enigma. Mm -hmm. So I'm very excited because every time you tell me a story, I'm like, this can't be a real thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. (laughs) So you were never drinking to conform. That's actually my gateway into drinking. I was a fraternity guy. And uh, I played football in college, and my fraternity guys were all football players, so it was Mm -hmm. all these alpha male types, and the things that you would get called if you didn't drink, and I drank Mike's Hard Lemonade originally. That was all I could handle. Wow, what a pussy. What a pussy. That's what they would call me. They would say, wow, enjoy your pussy pussy. drinks. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, they weren't clever jokes, but they, they got the point across, you know? And, uh, <laughs> so, uh, well. I would start drinking, I started drinking Natty Light. That's what they all drink. So I would start carrying a can of natural light with me and I would like baby sip it. And then eventually I learned how to shut off flavor and go for what could happen if you drank the whole can of Natty Light fast. The, res- the, uh, result. Yeah. I was just, you know, bypassing yeah. flavor at that I point. I didn't care what it tasted like. Aftershock. <laughs> you remember aftershock i don't think i did aftershock oh god that was just like a party drink it was so weird so for us it was um those uh two buck chuck that was our party drink okay just two bottle two dollar bottle of wine like boone's farm shit. yeah it was yeah. Ugh, kool-aid Ugh. I know it makes my teeth hurt when I think about how many sugar drinks i've had i used to drink amaretto sours because i thought that was like a man's drink yeah <laughs> that's so weird but i realized the drinks that i i think that's why i turned so hard into just drinking jameson Uh was like my drinks were like amaretto sour i thought i was like i thought that was the equivalent of like a rusty nail i thought that was like what men drink if you maybe they did back in 1953 they probably did. I had great Gatsby drinks. That's what I would have is a lot of like, go ahead, give me a little color in that glass. You know, like <laughs> it was trash. Um, okay. So number three of the four drinkers, mm-hmm. drinking for enhancement. Uh, this is beyond simply drinking to socialize. There are two types of adolescents and young adults with a particularly risky combination of personality and drinking motive preference. First are those who drink for enhancement motives. They're more likely to be extroverted, impulsive, and aggressive. Um, And they seek to get drunk, basically. That was me. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. Interesting. I I sought out to fucking get lit. Were you, like, like, quick? Did I get drunk real quick? Yeah. Well, I mean, it depended on what I I drank, but it just depended. I mean, there would be nights that I would just black out. Uh, early early on and but yeah i drank to get drunk do you have do you remember how you knew you were drunk because you know how when that first step into being drunk how you're not like out of control at that point but you know you're drunk like you know you're no so no that is not really a thing from i would have like i like call it called it my 15 minutes of freedom which is like where i would like i would like have a drink i also smoked a fuck ton of cigarettes too i smoked for a very a very long time yeah yuck right and i'm so glad that i don't do that anymore but um 
I would drink and I would get that, like, I would feel high. It's the only way I can describe it. And that may sound weird for people who drink, like, you feel high. But I felt, I felt like everything was going to be okay. And I'd get, like, really excited about life. And that would quickly not necessarily fade, but there was something in me that was like, let's not, let's not lose this. And so for me, there was never a, I know I'm getting drunk. It was just, it is like what they say about cocaine, like chasing the dragon. For me, it was very much with alcohol. I was chasing the dragon because I didn't want the feeling to go away. Right. And so I was constantly like looking for that next drink wherever we were at. I was like, let's go somewhere else and get another drink. Like I couldn't stand being in one place for too long. And that is something that I've had to sort of learn to be okay with too. I, that's an interesting, uh, cause you made me realize I used to, when I would first go out to bars, I would have a good time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, then at one point, uh, I realized I was just standing at the bar because my buddy was a bartender and he would, he would always just refill my, I'd never paid for drinks at one point. And, um, my buddy shout out Rob, uh, he would, he would actually cut me off, but I realized Mm -hmm. I wasn't walking away from the bar. I wasn't having fun. I wasn't trying to meet people. I was standing at the bar watching him work, drinking, essentially drinking alone without being alone. Sure. And, uh, that's when I was like, Oh, I'm probably going in the wrong direction, but I remember that there was that gap that you're talking about. There's, you hit that one drink that you know is going to be the tipping point, and then it's like in the movies when the music comes on slowly. It's like, oh, <laughs> what a feeling <laughs> for like, and then blackout. I would yes. never know at a certain point. I would yeah. kind of come online walking home or something, but and just the terrible feeling Oof. in the morning. The yeah, wor- the worst, you know. Okay, so then we're on to the final. Of the four drinkers. And I don't know that this is accurate, to be fair. I feel like there's got to be more to it. I mean, this Latrobe school is sus anyway. (laughs) So the last one is, and this one's going to be a little bit of a dagger to the heart. This is drinking to cope. Mm. Um, For coping motives, uh, they have a higher level of neuroticism. (laughs) Neuroticism. Neuroticism. Mm. Sound it out, Michael. Low level of agreeableness and a negative view of the self. These drinkers may be using alcohol to cope with other problems in their life, Mm -hmm. particularly anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. Most likely to be female. Mm. I don't know what that says about me. I definitely drank to cope as well. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I uh, I always was very insecure about like the my weight because I've always been super skinny. So that was like a thing that I would just like, you know, um, and so was insecure, but then also dealing with a home life. My parents are great, but I had a brother who was like a ticking time bomb and very scary, uh, to live with and not normal. Um, and so that was, uh, not something I'll get into today, but that was quite traumatic growing up with a brother like that, who was six years older than me, much bigger than me. So mm-hmm. I, um, I also think at one point I started drinking to cope. I actually, I was just telling my wife this, but I had a really good childhood, mm-hmm. um, almost so good that it was kind of detrimental. And that whenever I became an adult and be kind of became aware a little bit of some stuff where I felt cheated 
or I felt like not lied to. My parents were great and still are, but I felt kind of cheated in life that I wasn't prepared for this or that. Um, Isn't it funny how we can like just do that? Even it's like, so my life was great, but yeah, I just felt like at one point after college, like the blinders came off and I was like, you're not a special boy. You're just a boy. <laughs> and and it's fine. It's it what it needed. I needed it to be grounded or whatever, but there was a moment where I couldn't handle that and yeah. it was like, well, you are a special boy if you drink until you feel special, and that's what I would do. So I think yeah, I think to some extent anybody who becomes sober would have to be Yeah. I don't I mean I definitely, I definitely in the end, I just drank to cope just to fucking get up yeah. in the morning and go to work. You know, <laughs> I was just like, I fucking hate this. What are you doing, bud? Hey, bud. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, so this, this is an interesting list. Um, you know. Now, I think what plays well with this is the one thing we talked about this, the difference is I do or have used drugs in the past and, um, I've recently stopped smoking weed uh, for long stretches, and now I'm going through a different form of sobriety. I've had to go through kind of a dopamine dump, kind of a new thing where I didn't realize that drinking would keep me at a certain high to where regular life would be kind of boring, mm-hmm. and that weed was also doing that. So now I'm in this interesting secondary phase of sobriety, I with, guess. Would you say that you're going through withdrawal? <clears throat> to an extent, yeah. Well, I, I texted you that I was having like an anxiety attack yeah. or something, and I wasn't sure why. Right. I was I was doing my job, and I was nothing had changed in my normal life, and all of a sudden I was having these huge anxiety attacks. And uh, so, yeah, I would say to an extent, I'm learning how to deal with that now, mm-hmm. which is perfect timing for this show. A show that people can be a part of. Right? How can they be a part of this show? <laughs> so um, we are. Uh, we have a website. Um, it'll be going live here soon. Uh, you can go to sloppysoberpod.com. That's sloppy, S-L-O-P-P-Y, soberpodpod.com. And uh, if you want to leave us a question or recommend an artist, it's a great opportunity to be a part of the show. And hopefully we'll do more video stuff and mm-hmm. as it grows. Yeah, we're just kind of figuring it out as we go. And yeah. Um, yeah. Do you want to plug uh, any socials or thing if people want to follow you, your sketch group? Um, yeah, sure. If you want to follow me on Instagram, you can follow me. Uh, my Instagram is Allison Summers, Insti, I-N-S-T-I. Um, I've got a, a sketch group comedy with two really, uh, funny women, uh, called Betcha Sketch, uh, and that's on Instagram as well. Yes. So check it out. Definitely worth a follow. Uh, the whole group is very funny and they also have other funny comedians sometimes pop in <laughs> and do stuff. It's a really cool sketch group. Yeah. Um, you can find me on Instagram. It's just, uh, Yetman MT, or you can visit my website, michael-yetman.com. I uh, have some projects coming out soon. Keep an eye out for the Hurt Locker podcast where comedians tell stories of bombing on stage. Mm. Um, that'll be soon. So I don't know. Anything else you want to add? No. Uh, again, uh, you know, if you are struggling with addiction, there are resources out there. I can't point you in any specific direction, but 12-step step programs, there's a 
book by uh, what's his name? Russell Brand. Has Russell that book. Yeah, yeah, it's a great book. It's um, a fucking great book. I can. I'll I look read it. it. While I read it during the pandemic. Uh, Russell Brand has a great book if you if you're interested, um, or if even if you don't have a problem and you just want to learn more, maybe somebody in your family has a problem. We'll we'll definitely talk about that. But we're gonna try and just like hit all the the things. So thanks for listening, and hope you have a great day. Yeah, um, I never found the book, but it's by <laughs> Russell Brand. He's a famous actor, so you should be able to find. Uh, that was Sloppy Sober Podcast. Episode one is in the books. Wow. We will see you next time. Bye. Bye.